It's that time of year again when your nice hosts take a few weeks off from new episodes. We'll be back at the start of March, but until then, we've picked out a few of our favorites from the past year or so to keep you entertained each week while we're on hiatus. While you wait, you can get these and all our episodes ad-free, plus exclusive bonus audio that's pretty nice too at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. This week's Nice Replay is episode 282. Today's the day I screw things up. Pre-production, Idle Games. Originally published October 13th, 2022. One thing I like about digging a little further back for a nice replay is to relive what was going on in our lives back then. This episode starts with some big good news for Ellen, and later in the episode, some bad news for me, which I'd completely forgotten about and inspired my topic for this episode. Final note before the episode starts, you've probably noticed that for Night's Replays, we replaced the standard intro and theme song with this bit, so you can get right into the episode. And I'll do the same here, except for this extra part that's wasting your time just now. But I actually recommend you go back and listen to the original intro if you get the chance, because it's an all-timer. Nice game, dogs. Cool. How are you guys? Um, all right. So that's not the only thing going on with you. Yes. Are <laughs> we going to create a whole list? No, um, I mean, because that's in the meta. Yeah, it's in the meta. No, I know. Uh, yeah. No, I started a new job today. Yeah. Uh, woo. Yeah. Um, Tell us about it. Yeah. I'm a lead lead game designer at the game agency. Lead hey. game designer. Lead game designer. Let's go. At the game agency, we're, uh, they've been around for over a decade, mm. and they are a platform that does like quizzes and learning games and things like that. They have a whole platform called the Trading Arcade, um, and this was day one. So, like, I'm just getting my feet under me. I'm just getting my bearings, and it's they're part of a, a larger company. Yeah, um, and it's definitely the biggest organization I've ever worked for. So it's it's weird. It's a different different feeling than mm. what I'm used to. Sure. You know, so uh, that's going to be an adjustment, but it doesn't matter because I'm doing games all the time and yeah. I'm very excited. Lead game designer. That is just, that's such an impressive title. It's imposing. It mm. kind of freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. It's not just Monday. Like the imposter syndrome is real, but it, yeah. Yeah. I think it'll, once you, I actually start doing the work instead of just doing all the onboarding tasks, then that'll go away because I'll be focused on the work. Yeah. It'll be fine. And they're a really great group of folks. Are you are you leading uh, people then as a result? Like if you are a lead game designer? Yeah, I don't think that's – I mean, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Um, maybe. Right maybe. now I think it's more like leading the game design philosophy. Got and it. And the game design efforts in certain yeah. areas. So oh, you, I, do, these are projects which will sort of have departments of one – in in many cases, or? no, no. I'll be interfacing with they. They have like a five person dev team with mm. additional um, senior devs who come in and support the core team. And mm. then there's a, a full time like visual slash UX designer that I work with. And yeah. um, like a lot of other games have sound. You know, their games have sound design and mm. and music and things like that. So, but still, per department, a pretty low number of folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like the the five to seven. No, five to eight. Yeah, they have like five core game. I think developers, and then mm. like the three additional people are there to help like boost capacity if they need to do more things on the platform. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. I'm first day. I'm just figuring it out. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, it's not a huge, huge team. It's yeah. it's 
Yeah. It's it's a regular sized team and there's only one team, I guess is the way I'd talk yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the larger organization is like a few hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um so it's definitely a different vibe. And lots and lots of people are working remotely. Like oh, sure. there are other people who work for the company who are in the Twin Cities area. Mm-hmm. Um and actually one of them like lives just across the river from me. <laughs> but you know, we've we've hung out together before. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, we don't have like a central office space. Okay. Here, so. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that's a good fit for you because you you spent the last year doing a lot of uh, freelance stuff. Yeah. And so you're sort of used to that kind of you know remote lifestyle anyway. Yeah. And you you did remote at your last job a little bit, right? Over the pandemic. Yeah, over the pandemic, things switched to remote, and then I switched to contracting, mm-hmm. and then I switched jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's the last two years, basically. So lots of big changes, but the, the some of the things that come with a job change, you actually won't change for you. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, I got up at the same time and I did the same things and yeah. and just logged into different browsers and tools. Sure. Yeah. But it was definitely, I mean, like the culture is definitely different. Like you're a freelancer, there's a lot of hustling. Yeah. Um, But this is... I think it's just the hustle. I, I, I keep expecting the other hustle shoe to drop. Right. You know, like, <laughs> here's now, now it's going to be crazy. Go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't think that's what they're wanting to do. They don't really try to, I think I, from what I can tell, they're pretty, sen- they're very sensitive around crunch okay. and things like that. So, um, yeah, it'll be great. I'm excited. That's cool. fantastic. That's great. Yay. Love hearing about our career jumps. I know, right? You just keep moving up, y'all. <laughs> just keep at it. Keep practicing the art and stuff happens because mm-hmm. you get better. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got a topic. Uh-huh. You do? Yes. Good. <laughs> Good. Right. We'd have to reschedule this whole recording session. <laughs> And we didn't go over them at the top, huh? Oh, shoot. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, well. Uh, this whole thing is a disaster. It's going to be a surprise to people who don't look at their podcast player and see the title of the episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But dun, dang, dun, dun, dun. no one does that. Anyways, yeah. my topic is pre-production, mm-hmm. um, which to me, before I started working at my current job, I was like, pre-production, that's a buzzword. That doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> I, no- I now know what it means. Uh, <laughs> what, what- what does it mean aside from stuff that happens before production? It, I mean, a lot of it is just like the planning of the production phase, like oh, what you're going yeah. to okay. be doing during production. Yeah. Um, and so, like, what I so I've been doing this for work recently, um, where we, we, you know, we're working on a new prototype, but we're kind of trying to uh, self-publish it, sort of. Or if we don't get funding for it, we've figured out a way to self-publish it. Um, but ideally, we get money. So give us money. Uh, <laughs> but like, the, the, so a lot of the work that I've been doing has been planning out, because I'm the programmer, uh, I've been planning out the systems um, in the back end to, so that like, you know, it'll better support our my production work and other people's production work um, during the process of production, which is when you're like actively developing a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I find a lot of value in, in, in pre-production. Um, Largely due to the fact that, like, it, it, it feels nice to kind of know what you're going to be working on the whole, a lot of the time. Like, you're not you're not going to figure out everything when you're doing pre-production stuff. But, like, yeah. you're going to figure out a lot of it. And it's going to feel more like an actual game and not just, like, an idea that's been in your head for a long period of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I don't know. Uh, have, have y'all 
done like official quote unquote pre-production stuff in the in the past well i would guess between the two of us ellen you probably in a in a designer capacity have have done more than i have Mm. yeah i think uh, i'm just thinking back to all like the various projects i've been on um yeah so i've i've done pre-production from a from like an instructional design or curriculum development perspective okay and recently over the last 12 months have done some pre-production from a game development perspective on some of the larger games that i was working on Mm. um and it is it's i don't know it's fun because it is like this bridge between an idea and then things that actually start becoming concrete and i think the thing that's really i mean this is the emotional experience of pre-production according to ellen um (laughs) but like you know when you when you start an idea it's like this this fragile thing yep right and then you kind of put some pieces together and you're like okay how do we make it more of a thing and you Mm -hmm. add some more pieces or you reconfigure some things and it becomes a little more solid yes and it's that experience that to me that that's what pre-production brings right yeah you're like you're getting some of these details and as you add these details and you start making plans about okay we're gonna have this many um this many phases of the game which means we need this many um, different backgrounds and we are going to need to have probably about this many mini games, you know, and so on and so forth. Like you don't exactly know what they are, but you're coming up with like the structure. Mm -hmm. And then, and then when you have that structure, it just feels like a solid thing. Yeah. And that's a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's the experience I've been having and it's been nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Though it's been kind of, Interesting, because like sometimes you know we'll, we'll, we have a lot of meetings. You'll have a lot of meetings when you're doing pre-production. That's just the nature of it. You gotta have a lot of conversations to solidify these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but while we're having these conversations, um, they've all been you know productive and valuable. Um, but every once in a while, will people will like kind of lean towards a direction, and I've noticed myself feeling a little disappointed in the, in that direction. And it's not necessarily because I don't like that direction. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's a nice direction. Um, it makes sense. And like, sometimes I'll be like, yeah, during the meeting, I'll be like, yeah, this is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just, I, I think, I, I think part of it is just like the ideal, the ideal really that you've like thought of for this game starts to like fade away mm-hmm. and starts becoming more of a real thing. Well, yeah, it comes into focus. Yeah. It can't be anything anymore. Right, right, right. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like a dream. It feels more like a reality in yes. a way that is a little um I don't know. Yeah, I guess it feels a little it feels a little disappointing in a way. Well, what it also does is it it moves that that solidification process yeah. to pre-production yeah. instead of where it feels more magical and fun, which is during production. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But also inefficient and, you yeah. know, and dangerous. Yes. Um, right. Absolutely. Kind of like aging. What? <laughs> I kind of expect you guys to just get it. It makes okay. me feel really old that you didn't. Well, you know, like when you're younger, you're like, oh, yeah, the fu- you know, you've got this possible, like all these possibilities in the future. And then yeah. As time goes on, like your options are restricted just by the factor of you don't have as much time left. Right. There's, yeah. There's only so much you can do. Yeah. And there's things that you thought maybe I'll do. And then you're like, well, I guess I'm never going to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. That's a way to spin it. That makes it sound very depressing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so thanks for that. Well, I'll, I can speak to my experience with yeah. pre-production in, in film and commercial video projects. Sure. Which is essentially... V- much more defined than it is in games. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And which is like you got you can't shoot without a script. Right. Right. Whereas you can start production on a video game without any of the, a lot of, a lot lot of, of things you would need. Right. Yep. So there are things, and so I'm pretty familiar with that structure. Okay. And a lot of times, what you 
in in those fields, uh, and this includes like client work, you're doing commercial work, or you're doing um, uh, uh, motion graphics for for a client or something like that. Yeah. A lot of times you have you have storyboards, you have scripts, you have um, you have meetings about style and uh, things that will essentially build the blueprint for your project. Yeah. And then the actual making of the project. Um, in games, it can feel like, oh, you've closed off so many doors. Right. But in my experience, um, because I, I came up with that kind of structure, the mm-hmm. pre-production, production, post-production, like yeah. that's, I, that, the, with really defined lines between them. Yeah. And when there's overlap, it's like scary and no one likes it. Oh. Okay. It happens, yeah. right? You don't, you're like, well, we're not, we haven't, the client has not approved this script, so we'll start shooting it. And if they don't, Give you know approve the changes by whatever, yeah. then we'll just decide on the day. Yeah, nobody likes that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. but it, it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or certainly when you're shooting a production as a larger production, you edit as you go sometimes right. oh. to get a feel for one. As if you're as a director, you want to see like how a performance is playing on screen, and that mm-hmm. can inform your direction on set the next day or whatever. Yeah, and you know, and you want to see how the the scenes are paced. Mm. So you were like, oh, you know, we didn't shoot enough coverage on these scenes, so I'll make sure we do more. So there's some some of that overlap happens yeah and is similar to how games are produced as standard i think yeah um uh, certainly indie games are, yes there's a lot of more of that overlap yeah and more changing as you go because you just can more more often well you can and it feels uh, i think part of it is like it, the games feel a little more amorphous as you're developing them right well yeah, want to put them in front of play testers and you're right. like oh you know what we need to make big changes here yeah it's not something that happens in other uh, fields as right. much yes yeah exactly um, but it i think i think people should not be afraid to front load that process yeah oh yeah um, that's what the and we you know we talk about iteration play testing agile yeah and all of those things are a little allergic to like having your blueprint ready to yeah. go yeah but i think they shouldn't you shouldn't feel like that those that those things are totally mutually exclusive. Well, exactly because like this this the the process of doing this isn't necessarily you know set in stone this is what my game is now right. i cannot change from this plan it's more like you plan out these things so you can you have an idea of how well how long it's going to take you mm-hmm. what kind of resources you're going to need um the different kinds of things you'll be doing during production yeah um and then you know you you get to production and three months down production you're like oh actually this level doesn't really make sense we need to replace this with something else or oh it actually is going to take way more work to 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 create all the art assets we need we need to hire another artist or something like that um and so then you go back to the drawing board and you you know adjust as you go right Um, and print and it, key to that yeah. is that you go back into pre-production mode. Yes, I mean it's a little more fly by night. Yeah, but you don't you don't just make the changes on the fly in with the sort of production mindset. Yeah, you do mm-hmm. have to take a step back, I think, to make the to. And that's not true of every little tweak you want to oh, make. Oh yeah, 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 but it can be if you're going to make major changes. Yes, um, because, absolutely. Yeah, when you actually just sit down and like just with a room full of people, or if it's just you, mm-hmm. you and your notes. Um, and not think about it in terms of like uh, iterating until you get there all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you can actually just think your way to a, sol- to a solution yeah. and can shortcut some of that iterative process mm-hmm. um, and only have to make two or three iterations rather than 12. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but I think that's a good point um, that it's important to, you know, actively plan it and not just like, you know, make a change so you can keep working because that can be dangerous. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes you have to do that, though. But that's, you know, it depends on where you're, where you are in the project and what you're doing for the project. It's a little, it's, it's more, it's much more dangerous when, like, people's salaries are on the line. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. Um. 
yeah, I guess I have like a list of things that um, are valuable for people to go over during pre-production. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about them. And I'm sure there, this is not an exhaustive list, but you know, things that you'll come up with as you do it. Um, so one thing I've been doing is like tools you'll need during production, um, specifically like pick a game engine. That's probably important. Maybe do that even before pre-production. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like there's, you know, the, you, you, you'll realize there's, there will be tools that you will want um, as you're making the thing. Um, one thing I did when I was working on Rhythm Rumble is there was this asset. I can't remember the name of the asset right now, but it was like a rhythm tool that would, I think it was called Rhythm Tool, um, that would, you know, keep track of the beats of songs and stuff. And I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that I was like, oh, I can, can I get this thing so I can work with it and understand how it works and things yeah. and mess with it so that I can create um, things I need to make this work for our project, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, you want to have like a design over look, like you want to have a general idea of what, how the game plays in like the core game loop um what players will be doing over over the um over the game mm-hmm. um basic narrative beats you know the the progression i don't i don't write um <laughs> <laughs> but that's what our writer has been doing <laughs> is the stuff um come up with like a list of art assets that you will you will need um and you know it's not an exhaustive list you're going to want to have um, you're going to want to have an idea of what art assets you'll need, but odds are you're probably going to be like, oh, actually, we might need this animation for blah, blah, blah. Or we might need this fancy picture or something for right. of a character. All of this is just getting you ready yes. for when you need those things. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be – It's not. you don't have to have it all nailed down totally. Yeah. But you have to at least understand that this is the type of thing we'll need, and we'll need about this much of it, we think. Yeah. And so let's make sure we have the tools and the budget and the – the labor ready to go for that yeah and so that when inevitably it changes a little bit we'll at least won't have to move too far from because we've thought about it already yeah it's it's, it's really fascinating too because like you know the future club is mostly animators and artists and so like they have a pipeline for this kind of stuff established quite strongly i think um and it makes it interesting jumping into that working in um working in previous places where that wasn't the case and not just like and it wasn't just because like my job didn't know what they were doing i think it was more just like that's just not how we worked Mm -hmm. um and so i was more accustomed to just like kind of working (laughs) and not necessarily doing this planning stuff ahead of time a lot of it Mm -hmm. um it's interesting to just see that mindset change um for like creating art assets and things because i think it it's valuable it was it was very valuable for them to know the kind of stuff jumping going into it. Um, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting mind shift. Mm-hmm. For do, you me. Pre- do you prefer one over the other, or is it too too early to tell? Um, that's a good question. I think that I kind of I do like pre production as a concept because I feel more prepared for or I feel more knowledgeable about what I will need to do. Mm-hmm. But there's something that's interesting about like just messing with stuff (laughs) and just getting and just like you know doing things without necessarily having a plan for them i think that the like pre-production i think this is valuable for anybody whether you're a hobbyist or triple a or whatever um but i think that you know when you're a hobbyist um you're just working on it because like you're enjoying making games um you don't necessarily have to do a lot of this stuff i think that it can be valuable um Mm -hmm. and it can make the the task um, it can make the task of creating the game less daunting when you you know you're three months in and the magic is gone 
<laughs> from the from yeah. the project. Um, it could just be nice to know. Oh, I've got this list of tasks. I'm just gonna pull this task today and just do this task today because I've got the time for it on um, the energy. Um, but there's also something to be said for like discovering and experimenting with your game and just being able to like you know flow with it. Um, that's kind of that's what we did with Vengeance, right? I mean, we did it for a very long time, but mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of fun um about discovering new um ways to 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 create parts um and characters and enemies and things that i think was that i wouldn't want i wouldn't i don't think that game would be as good as it is now if we if we just planned a lot of that stuff out ahead of time yeah Hmm. um i think we would have finished it earlier if we had planned a lot of stuff out ahead of time (laughs) um but i think that like you know there, there was some stuff there would be some things that were lost if we if we didn't make those if we didn't just like do things kind of Mm -hmm. there are just so many good quotes about planning that were brought up in like the agile training that i did way back in the day um and i can't remember them exactly so i can i mean but today's the day where i screw things up (laughs) so it's something like a plan like the active planning is priceless but the plan itself isn't worth the paper that it's written on Mm. you know and so like the active planning especially with your team gets everyone on roughly the same wavelength, at least on the same like continent mm-hmm. as far as what you're building and how what it's gonna take to get there. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not the the plan is not the product. The plan is just a, a tool to help you get there. Right. Um so you gotta be flexible enough to change the plan if you need to and, and recognize that, you know, it's 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 a plan. It's like an outline, but it's also like you're going to get way more detailed as you move forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing that pops up, kind of popped up earlier, we were talking about this is, you know, we had that, we had that conversation about games journaling last week. Right. Mm-hmm. It's right? been some time ago. Two Be, weeks two, ago? Two episodes ago for yeah. listeners. Yeah. Okay. So two weeks ago, two episodes ago. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um and we talked about how like that one of the benefits of journaling is like externalizing your thoughts. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And externalizing those thoughts helps you analyze your own um your own thinking around different uh different topics and experiences. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives them structure so that they're it's easier for you to like metacogitate, is that a word? To think about how you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and I feel like pre-production is kind of the same thing right like you are externalizing your ideas of what the games are in a way that gets pretty specific but not too specific right uh so that everyone can kind of analyze those ideas together yeah yeah and that's a good point that's something i didn't bring up is that like i think that during the pre-production process we've kind of we we have solidified the game idea together so we're all on the same page mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas like when you're not doing that like two people can have different ideas and you can be developing the same product and yeah. not be on the same page and that can cause conflict and mm-hmm. it's important to have those debates before people start putting in hours yes right mm-hmm. right 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 well yeah and i think like you know when you if you work on a game for such a period such a long period of time um you will if if you don't have that kind of plan established people can like you know, be, they'll they'll put it push it in a direction that you aren't comfortable with, and you and then they could be, 
yeah, a bunch of conflicts and controversy and all this stuff. I think a little bit of that happened in Finn. It's not like actual active controversy, <laughs> but like um, we, I think we had some, like we had ideas on what vengeance was and we didn't really solidify some of the ideas ahead of time. Yeah. I feel, I mean, as an observer over many of the years yes. of vengeance production, I think sometimes like production halted yeah. when the three of you couldn't agree on something. A little bit, yeah. Until you kind of came back and hammered it out, or mm-hmm. someone decided they didn't care as much as they thought they did. Yeah. And then you could move forward. Yeah. Right. And that's not, I mean, like you say, that game does not um, purport to have been produced in a professional manner. Mm-hmm. And so it is fine as is. It's yeah. not like the biggest mistake or anything. Right. But like it wouldn't be the way you'd make games now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some of those things we, well, I don't know. I think part of that process, um, what I'd still, you know, do today. But I think, yeah, mm-hmm. some of the stuff, some of the decisions, some of the way we made decisions, I would have liked to have improved yeah. as we did it. Um, and so, yeah, that's one of the things that has felt really nice about doing pre-production stuff is that, like, I really feel um, like a team in, in like, we all feel like we're every, like, when we we have regular retrospectives once a month and every time everybody's like, wow, this this game has really come together, y'all. We really feel like... <laughs> We're all in this. Um, we're all, you know, coming together, and it's starting to really yeah. feel like a full thing. Um, and that feels really good. Um, to just yeah, like have that experience. To sort of, yeah, as you're working, and then you someone gets something done, and everyone has some ownership of it because yeah. they're all part of that pre-production process. Yes. And so it's a team accomplishment. It's not, you know, and, yeah, and yeah, it's 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 fulfilling the the promise rather than just making a cool thing. Right. Yeah. 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 It feels mm-hmm. really nice. Um, and plus that, you know, every, yeah, like you said, Mark, I think everybody gets like their input on all aspects of it. And I suppose you, you know, you would get, especially in, in the space, you get your input on all aspects of the game, regardless, even during production. But, um, it's nice to have that input, um, during pre-production because like you can kind of guide all of the different, um, 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 what's the word for all of the things that people do to make games? (laughs) disciplines disciplines um thank you uh all the different disciplines um you can kind of guide them in a way that feels satisfying enough for you without you necessarily having to do that work yeah um this goes back a little bit to sort of a a perennial topic on the show which mm -hmm. is like game design pillars yeah so pre-production is where you would depending on i mean everyone does it a little differently but where you would have your game design document yeah or you come up with your statement of principles for this project yeah i mean it could take any form right right right. um it could be bullet points or it could be a 30 page document right um but that's where you have that Mm -hmm. and so like you say the different departments can be on the same page because one of the things that can be very frustrating i think is people doing a lot of great work but then it doesn't mesh with With... what the team is working on Mm -hmm. or yeah and you'll see this in triple a games that have siloed departments where you'll see like oh someone really went for it and did a great job on this thing Mm -hmm. it's a weird fit for this game but okay yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah, and you um, want you know you don't you know you want to have everyone have the ability to to make changes on the fly if that you know because that has some there's some spark to that, mm-hmm. but it's it can also I mean it can go wrong very quickly. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, design pillars is definitely something you want to lock in uh, during pre production for mm-hmm. sure because that's yeah those kinds of things are valuable and that's the kind of stuff you'll want to look back on you know as you're doing production and want to make changes. Yeah, um, yeah. So pre-production do it i don't know uh. <laughs> <laughs> well i think you know for you know an indie team a yeah. single person it it it's going to look different yes right you yeah. can you can be putting together your prototype as you're taking your as you're writing your game design document mm-hmm. that's okay right it, you know it's not there isn't a 
it, I mean, like I was describing with, with film where there's that like really hard line for yeah. practical purposes. Mm-hmm. There's less of that in games and that's bad, but it's also good. Yeah. Um, it, it yeah. It's, be efficient. it's just different. Yeah. That, yeah. Like we did, I mean, we did, I when we started pivoting Widget Satchel from a jam game to a full production, Yeah. I was pretty hard on everybody to make sure we made a lot of decisions before we Early got too far on. down the, yep. the thing. And that was a sort of a, a type of pre-production. Mm-hmm. And like... I, I'm really glad I did that. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we could have really spun out very quickly if we didn't, if we just kind of charged forward. Right. Um, and so we, we, we all agreed on some pillars. We had discussions about features. Mm. We had arguments and then we settled them. Yeah. And then we, we, we kept them settled unless there was a compelling reason to, to go back to them. Right. Um, but we were working at the same time. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't, you know, we didn't we didn't wait to get going because we really couldn't afford to wait to get going because yeah. it was a zero budget project. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a good point. Widget Satchel did. We did. Yeah. Sort of have a weird pre-production esque process. Yeah. Um, well, a lot. Of, I mean, I think my motivation for that comes a lot from when I was doing film where it's like you really have to know like, yes, you've got your script done. But if you didn't do your storyboards. Mm-hmm. Then you have to make sure that you take really good notes, or else you're gonna eat every scene is gonna look different. Yeah, and it's like this would be a really great oneer, but is it is it a good place in the movie for that, right? right. And it's so you want to have a lot of you want to justify your choices, or you want to at least frame the environment that you will be making your choices during production. Yeah, so that when it's time to make the choices, trying to do the work, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you you are making the choice. In the spirit of the the, the game the pillars, or in the context of the rest of the project, yeah, yeah. Um, because um, you have no shortage of good ideas, yeah. But it doesn't always mean it's going to be the right idea, and it's really hard to know the difference. Yes, um, absolutely. Because when you have a good idea, like all you want to do is bring it to life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's what that's the exact thing that pre-production will help you figure out design or decide for. Yeah, is that kind of stuff. Um, so it's valuable. I would I would encourage listeners to at least give it some thought as to whether or not you know a a structured pre production um, uh, process is valuable for you or not. Um, but at least think about it because I think I think there's a lot of value to it. More value than I had um, initially thought of when I didn't even think the term actually existed. <laughs> <laughs> NiceGames.club slash Discord. We have tons of conversations. Um, specifically, our community does. If you're interested in hearing from listeners like yourselves um, and having conversations about the show, you can jump into NiceGames.club slash Discord. If at any point you're like, hey, Steven, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, specifically with me. Actually? Or, yo, Mark, yeah. that's dumb. Uh-huh, yeah. Or, yeah. Ellen, I agree. Yep. And I want to praise you for it. <laughs> Those are, those are three common listener. We've had that's the feedback we've gotten that's mostly. That's true. That's pretty accurate. If you want to add to, you know, or maybe your own spin on those uh, uh, responses, mm-hmm. uh, you can do that with other listeners. Yes. Which is uh, probably a little bit more useful than just complaining directly to us. Right. Right. Because I'm not going to say anything back to you. Know? <laughs> I don't. You, you can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good luck getting Steven to change his mind. Right. You I'm know. stubborn. But if you can marshal the rest of the audience mm. in, uh, you know, uh, behind you. Then, ah. then you know, Stephen will have no, nothing to lean against. That's a have, good point. Get that peer pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I might have to actually reconsider my opinions if you get a bunch of people to do it. That's the power of community. <laughs> and you can get that. NiceGames.club slash Discord. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Okay, so for my topic today, um, I've got a backstory. Okay. Um, so strap in. I don't know how good it is. Um, so last week, um, I was biking home, mm. and uh, which what happens a lot is that uh, cars will park in the bike lane. Oh, and yeah. and it sucks when you, because they're parking in traffic. Right. Oh, like they goodness. got their hazards on. They're like, I'm just gonna be here for a minute or whatever. Yeah. Or I'm waiting for someone, or I'm an Uber driver or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you're parking on the shoulder or in front of a fire hydrant for like a minute. Whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, we all got lives to live. You don't have to follow the rules to the letter. Right. But when you're parking, parking in the bike lane, you are parking in traffic. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's my PSA to all of you out there because I think I think everybody's done it. Hmm. Like That's because I want to see it a lot. But also, like, I could see people justifying it. Yeah. So first part of my story. <laughs> don't do that. Is do not park in the in a bike lane. Mm-hmm. If there's no shoulder, then you cannot park there. Yeah. That's just uh, boo-hoo, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because uh, I was biking home and there's a car on the bike and I usually just have to swerve around them. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty, it was a pretty busy street. Yeah. And so I just had this narrow thing. Otherwise, I was going to go into the lane of traffic. Oh, goodness, yeah. So a lot of times I will put my arm out to signal, but it was too busy for, I couldn't get in. Yeah. Um, And you have to, when you're trying to change lanes on a bike, uh, you have to be like triple sure the cars will let you because right. they don't expect you to move yeah. even or to recognize your signals. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, I clipped this guy's um side mirror as I was trying to weave around him and, yeah. I, and I fell off my bike and I got ah. pretty hurt. Ugh. Um, And so... Uh, I was laid out all that weekend Hmm. and most of the uh, beginning of the next week. And so here comes the actual (laughs) relevance. Okay. Um, I started playing an idle game on my phone, Mm -hmm. which is not something I've really ever done. Okay. And we've talked about free to play and and, and sort of the ethical quandaries of that. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that again. Mm. But I wanted to talk a little bit of kind of almost do a little bit of a case study here on this particular game um, because I took a lot of notes as I was playing huh. because we had just done that episode about um, journaling. Game, game journaling. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't know how useful this is going to be a lot of people. I think this is going to be something people, a lot of people have already experienced or they already know these things. Mm. But I, I was surprised by some of the things as I played through this game because a lot of time, a lot of my, uh, understanding of idle games, clicker games, yeah, um, uh, you know, games that are generally, uh, you know, high user acquisition. They are are funded by ads and by uh, microtransactions. Right. A lot of that is is mostly like my thoughts on paper, right? Because mm. I don't play these games. Like yeah. I've never, I've been, I've never been attracted to them. I I feel that they have like ethical problems, and so I haven't. I don't know the experience of playing them, so it's sure. very academic. Yeah. So I feel like I I've learned a little bit more, and I want to talk about some of that. Um, so the first thing is I played this game because it's a Star Trek game because <laughs> that got me there, basically. Yeah. It's called uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, The Badgie Directive. So if ah. people know the, the show Lower Decks, it's the uh, it's the sitco- Star Trek sitcoms, mm. uh, animated sitcom. We've talked about it on the show before. We all love it. Um, and this is a tie-in game um, uh, that features one uh, uh, the Badgie, which is a holographic combat Ooh. 
who is evil yeah and uh traps you in the holodeck and and toys with you and uh-huh. voiced by jack mcbrayer very funny character uh-huh. so the premise of this game is that you're trapped in the holodeck and you have to complete a series of drills and and but badgie will never let you go oh because badgie is evil and right. basically this it's a game that never ends <laughs> So it's kind of thematically okay. appropriate. <laughs> All right. And so the one of the things that I thought was kind of actually pretty well done about the game is that it does get to sort of have its cake and eat it too with this with these mechanics. Yeah. Because it, it has a little bit of a fourth wall breaking character at its core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, and and I'll talk a little bit more about that later when I talk about theming because um, that I thought was pretty interesting. Mm. But my history with these types of games uh, um, is this game, and then I think I've I've like open one or two and just to see what they were or whatever, how they start. Yeah. But I really have not actually played any game like this except for years and years ago, I played an idle game uh, an, uh, on a web page. It was an HTML5 game. Yeah. It was a proof of concept because HTML5 was nascent. Mm. And um, and this was like a, here, I, I made this just sort of Farmville style clicker game um, with HTML5. Check it out. It had no yeah. monetization or anything like that. Yeah. And I got really into it for all the same Skinner box reasons. Like you just, mm. it, it is very addictive um, it, mechanically. I don't, I don't, that's not, People understand that. I don't need to right. go over that a lot. Yeah. But um, I felt like, okay, I understand this genre mm. now. Um, but, and so I think that's kind of where my knowledge of it sort of ended. Um, and I did a little bit of research on um, what the state of the art was when this genre was invented. Oh, um, sure. About eight years ago. Yeah. And um, and I, it's sort of interesting where it's gone. And I'll get into that a little bit. But let's okay. talk about a little bit about this game. So it's made by Eastside Games. And they actually... They make a bunch of these IP-driven titles. Mm. So they have a, a Wizard of Oz idle game and a, a one for The Office and one for RuPaul's Drag Race. Sure, why not? <laughs> well, yeah, you'd say the same thing about Star Trek. Like, how could yeah. you make that work? Like, yeah, well, and, I it out. And what I, I didn't find out until I started doing some research uh, mm. is that um, it's really a reskinned project. Like, oh, sure. Um, mm. the very, very, they basically have made a, a white-label product and then they skin it yeah to whatever I, think, IP. I think i saw some screenshots and i was like this looks exactly like this other one so, yeah. yeah yeah and um but they actually do a really good job of adapting the ip so but that's where they put in their work ah. is yeah. is like on the art on the 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 on the writing on, on like on all the easter eggs and stuff like that yeah the mechanics are kind of like figured out okay so this is sort of like the um platonic ideal of a clicker idle game mm. it, it doesn't have a lot of unique mechanics because it's meant to work for a lot of different things right um there are some tweaks that are made per ip yeah at least that's my understanding anyway um but it's pretty much a a, a reskinned product okay and 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 i didn't know that at the time but it makes a lot more sense now um the thing is it starts out really interesting like the the theme is really strong mm-hmm. and it starts out everything starts out very fast with yeah. with these games yeah. you 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 actually the first time i played it i didn't really understand what any of the buttons were oh. it almost kind of like expected me to know it's sort of like every time i play a game that has loot and i'm like what does purple mean yeah. it's like every game has the <laughs> uses the same colors mm-hmm. but because i don't play that genre the first time I pick up one, the game expects me to know this already. Yeah, and it doesn't take long to learn, but it, like it, you, you uh, it rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, it's friction. It, it expects you these genre conventions. Yep. Um, purple's good. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> purple is very good. Yeah. You want purple. So the everything is really fast and very rewarding at the beginning, yeah. and that is specifically so that when the game slows down, and in every time I've I've read about this or seen videos, uh, that there. 
it's people's observations or their design intent mm-hmm. it's not that it slows down it slows down exponentially you're yeah. meant to hit a wall yeah. yep. it's not meant to sneak up on you actually yeah. and the reason is is because you're meant to have this the, the this validation the reward and then just long enough for you for you to really miss it when it's taken from yeah. you mm-hmm. you have a long reinforcement history yeah yeah, and so the you know okay, so there's sort of obvious problems that you know that that uh, it it funnels people into microtransactions, and that's like obvious. People know that about it, right? But I think the interesting thing that I learned is that the sort of like waiting or like paying to not wait or that that kind of push and pull mm-hmm. isn't so much the problem, like isn't isn't really what's wrong with these games. Mm. It's that the the balance of it is like broken on purpose. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of, I don't know how much of a distinction this is, but it's something I looked at a little bit different way. Like I was thinking like, oh, the whole point is to make everything uh, annoying. And so you have to pay to make it not annoying. Yeah. But that's not really the problem. It's not like core to the mechanic. It's that the balance, the numbers that are, 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 are configured mm-hmm. are such that it kind of, you could make it satisfying forever. Right. Um, and it would just be a fidget toy. Yeah. Right. Where you just keep getting rewarded at, at a right scale. It, it kind of uh, hovers above and below the line of, of like a uh, cost versus um, uh, inventory. Mm-hmm. And you could do that, mm-hmm. um, but you don't, you break these numbers on purpose yeah. so that, um, you know, Oh, you need 50. Well, I will, I'll give you 30. And that is all I'll I'll do. Then then you're on your own, you know. But if you want, there's like the shop in the corner, you know. Yeah. Right. And so, um, it, it it like I said, it's a, maybe it's a minor distinction, but I I didn't quite fully understand until I was like really feeling that mm-hmm. sense of like, oh, I could I I could optimize this and and get it all working. Oh, I can't. Like, right. There's actually no way to be. So that's sort of my other observation about it is that, I mean, I never really. I mean, idle games as a as a as a a, a point they're not meant to be skill based right yeah but you do resource management and that is something people find great satisfaction in and that's that's what makes the game fun early on Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what it takes away from you yeah is Mm -hmm. that satisfaction and so once you get over that hump and as you like play through different rounds or sort of new game plus of it all Mm -hmm. um you never get that back yeah. Um, and so essentially the game stops, but you have the memory of it. Yeah. Right. You associate the rewards you get with the satisfaction that those that those first 20 minutes gave you. Yeah. And I mean, really, the first 20 minutes is where all the gameplay happens. Then it's gone forever. And that is something that surprised me very much. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that they would be like, oh, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's an it's a, a evil Skinner box, but like it's still a game, right? No, it's 100% not a game. <laughs> okay, so I, I do want to make a distinction between, you know, this 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 particular game and not just, like, there's a lot of games like this. Not, yeah. Not specifically just this particular game. But there are other idle games that are not built in this way mm-hmm. that aren't, you know, there aren't, well, a lot of them aren't paid. Um, there was this idle game that I used to play called Candy Box. Yeah. Um, and then they made a sequel, Candy Box 2, where, like, um, the game, you know, you get candy over time and then you eventually get a button that allows you to click to get more candy over time yeah and then that expands once you get enough candy you start getting more buttons and more things and then there's a suddenly an rpg system and um <laughs> yeah there's a lot of stuff in that game that's it's it's really uh fascinating um, twist. yeah um there are a bunch of idle games like that that came about around the time that this genre was created right and um, that's that is it's that's telling because it's the it's not that the genre itself is inextricably linked to black hat 
behavior yeah. or in monetization. Mm. And and it's just that that's all that's left. Yeah. Essentially. That's a lot of it. Um, because that's how you can't – because every time – every every video I saw from from someone who makes these games describing how they work, mm-hmm. they always start out with like, it's like magic. Retention is so high with this genre. Yeah. It's like it's 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 like arbitrage for these developers. They mm. just can't believe it. Mm. And it is kind of impossible if you're running a business to not do something about that. Yeah. And so that is kind of it, – it's, it's not that the mechanic itself is – um, is 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 prey to that that uh that that pull of monetization, the pay to win model. Mm-hmm. It's that it's those numbers are designed broken on purpose for that that per- that purpose. Yeah. Now that is separate entirely from the sort of emotional, um, the the that reward loop. Yeah. That is not tied to monetization. That yeah. applies to the games you're talking about. Right. Well, and so that's the thing. That's the thing about idle games that I find really compelling mm-hmm. is that a lot of times there's a lot of de- delayed gratification mm-hmm. that come from idle games that you don't get in regular games. Most of the time in games, um, you design uh, the way you design a way to make players uh, feel rewarded as quickly as possible so that they keep playing the game until they finish. Right. Um, but with idle games, it's designed to keep you going for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like with that candy box game, you know, I would keep getting new mechanics and stuff and new things to do. And I'd be like, Oh, I got to keep playing this game so I can get more stuff to do. And I just kept playing it. And then more stuff kept popping up and that felt really satisfying. Right. And that, that's the, that's the distinction separate from the monetization yes. ethics, but that, that I believe also has eth- is ethically problem- problematic. Oh, and one of the things that was really interesting, I came across a, a, a paper mm-hmm. um, that we'll link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that um, uh, it's essentially almost like a, um, a researcher interviewed a bunch of developers and then wrote a very technical paper uh, for a, a .gov uh, mm-hmm. a, um, a website. Okay, um, but one of the th- I pulled a quote from it that's so fascinating to me. Several of our interviewees expressed the desire to give players an opportunity to stop playing their games if they choose to, rather than requiring their players to remain forever trapped in a cycle of never-ending logarithmic scaling. Mm. These reflections indicate a degree of concern from our interviewees about the potential of these games to lead to unhealthy, unending play. And that really was interesting to me because it really is separating out the, the monetization play versus just these, the core of these games, Mm -hmm. just the endless play. Well, that's interesting because I I guess I wasn't thinking of the games as endless. I I, I definitely see, uh, you know, a lot of these games are endless, like Cookie Clicker, you know, just goes on even though it's free. But that's what the, 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 there's some more quotes from the people I talk about this, this, like what they try to do. It's like, I wish we could, I wish this genre allowed us to have a, to let the player be done with it. Hmm. And and hmm. and that they struggle with that, and that is their ethical concern. Hmm. And this comes from indie developers who are using different pay models, right. like uh, subscriptions or premium. There are premium uh, idle games. Yeah, they don't do very well, but hmm. people do sell them. Yeah, um, or Patreon or something like that, where the, you know it's set up that way, it's hmm. less tied to the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Even those types of games and the developers who make them recognize the 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 scary like uh, uh, emotional and psychological effect it has on people. Yeah. And so that separating those things out was something I didn't think a lot about. I thought like, oh, this model is not interesting unless it leads to this monetization and this monetization yeah. is evil and they're, that's a straight line A to B. But uh-huh. it actually, they are different things. They just go well so well together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that That is what worries me. And I think we've talked about this on the show about games 
that are that do never end mmos and 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 uh competitive games that are mm-hmm. and games that have seasons and are mm-hmm. meant to just be a hobby unto themselves mm-hmm. and i don't think there's anything anything defi- definitionally wrong about a game that that is like a hobby sure i mean like there's no end to baseball right you yeah. can just play another game of baseball yeah <laughs> um like you can play another round of overwatch or mm-hmm. whatever right um but it i think I think there is a lot of problem with games that do have this kind of like number go up thing that is separate from the concern that I have about their monetization. Mm, okay. Well, and then you combine that with just the easy access of a mobile phone. Right. right? Yeah. Right. And then that you've kind of got this trifecta of hooked. Yeah. So the other thing that was really interesting is um, watching a, a GDC talk from 2015. Mm. They're talking about this, that, that, that really only been around a year or two mm. um, that as, as a genre and was already starting to find its way into sort of a, um, uh, in, into uh, being a, a big revenue source for companies. It was yeah. a big, that's where they sort of started yeah. is 2014, 2015, 2016. And the one, a really interesting thing that the person was saying was showing charts of like, these are, this is what, um, uh, this is our pie chart of what uh, players spend on the game. Yeah. And um, it was, you know, uh, uh, like, 40% of, peop- of players who spend anything at all will spend less than $10. And then there's this tiny sliver that spends like 100 or more. Yeah. A smaller sliver still spends 1,000 or more, yeah. right? And it's, it's whales, right? We understand that right. topic. It's not news to most people. Yeah. But then this other chart was how much of the revenue of the game total is provided by those 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 audiences. Mm-hmm. And something like uh, you know 40 to 60% of the revenue for for any successful idle game is brought in by people by people who are spending more than a hundred dollars yeah. over the lifetime of the game. Yep. Hmm. And so this is, I think I've, I've laid out this criticism before. Free to play games is one of the things that people say that's good about free to play games is that it it gives it's free, so it gives a lot of people access to games they wouldn't otherwise have. But I feel like that is not worth the trade-off, which is that these games are funded entirely by people who are spending too much money and who are emotionally trapped buy them. Mm. And I don't think that's worth the upside of providing a huge amount of people yeah. with free entertainment. I think somebody does pay for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that worries me a lot. And what was interesting about the, the talk from this person who was like, we make a bunch of these games and we're and this is really cool and you can make one. They're really not that hard to make. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it, it felt like a talk. I, mean, I don't want to like, we'll link this in the show notes and I don't want to like, you know, call this person out or anything like that. Yeah. But it really just sounded like they were giving like a multi-level marketing talk. Uh-huh. It sounded, it was like the thing that that really, really scared me about this talk and other things I was seeing, presentations, is how th- they were sort of just dismissing any kind of ethical concern mm-hmm. as if it didn't exist. Uh-huh. Not saying like, oh, you know, we heard and we we try our best, you know, like you hear like, like the NFL is like we're worried about player concussions and they're not really. Yeah. At least they have the the shame to to tell you that they care about it. Uh-huh. Right? And and that you know, you don't believe them, but you know, they at least but to hear people talk about these things and just to act as if that issue does not exist. Uh-huh. And it's almost you can almost see them stepping around it. And that was really scary to me. And that's from 2015. Hmm. And so one of the things that that person did was they had some predictions about where the genre would go. And they were really excited about it. Like, this is a, this is a new genre. It's a new payment model. And new players are getting in. And they had a lot of, like, really interesting they, – they were really excited about it. Like, genuinely excited about it as a, as a model for developers. Mm-hmm. And they thought, like, okay, 
you know, the spreadsheet style game will fall out of favor and there'll be more interesting mechanics will be developed. What we're looking at now is not going to be what it's going to be like a couple of years wrong. Like mm. the, the, the way he described the mechanics and like, oh, this is a new thing that these games introduced. And now, and a couple people have started monetizing them. But by, you know, in a couple of years, there'll be so much innovation in this, in this genre. It'll mm. be, and there really has not been. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of shocked me. And I, but I could totally see why you'd think there would be. <laughs> But the thing is, it works. It's yeah. it's it's it, it makes money. It works. Any changes you make is a risk to that model. Right. And so that that was really telling. I thought. Yeah. Um, Innovation that, is sparked from need. If it's already working, and there's yeah, no exactly. And this, exactly. The, this presenter had a lot of hope. It's like this going to it's going to be so interesting. People are going to come up with such cool ideas, and they just people really haven't. Um, and I mean, Stephen, like what you're talking about, a lot of that innovation happened in in non monetized. Yeah. Uh, spaces because there was more like the it was for that sake you know right 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 they were yeah there there was a whole story they wanted to tell yeah um over a period of time i guess one of the other predictions was that idle will become a modifier for other genres hmm. so you have like an idle mario type game you have an idle rpg you'll have an idle tactics game and that really hasn't happened uh, uh, oh well they did make it didn't isn't that no that was a premium game there was a mario there's a mobile mario game but it was it was a premium game so it's not the same thing yeah. yeah, but but the idea of like the the game plays for you, like right. they were like the 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 prediction was like idle is something that could be a a, a modifier to other types of games mm-hmm. that you could like you could and this has been true in some and there are examples of these sorts of things yeah. where you can have games play for you and then you come back to play them yourself. MMOs have done that can do this sometimes, right. but I think the prediction was really much that it was going to be like um, a much a broader uh, more broadly accepted variant of of types of games mm. um which was sort of interesting and i think part of the reason is is because designers um i mean they want their players to play this game so it's like yeah, not rocket right. science really mm-hmm. um but i think there was sort of a mix of like how it felt innovative at the time it felt like a good way to bring m- new revenue streams to developers so clearly it, it reminded me a lot of of um the sort of like oh blockchain games will be big yeah. Like why? Because it's new and people like new things and they'll innovate. And like, well, but why? And no one has an answer for that. Yeah. I felt like that that prediction really very much reminded me of those kinds of things. Mm. It's like it seemed like it it did it's it didn't seem like a stupid thing for someone to say. Yeah. Because it's like, here's this new thing, it's interesting, we haven't explored all of its corners yet. It's gonna be integrated into all sorts of things. It's kind of the future and it won't replace things, but it'll be a part of it. And I don't think that happened, mm. just like it's not going to happen with blockchain games. Um and so that was really interesting. And uh, and um, one thing that that he the prediction that he totally nailed was that um, there'd be idle spinoffs of games and brands. So you'll have like a popular game, and then you'll have the idle mobile version of it. That has happened, but the brands is where it really came into. That's the one I played, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that is a way to draw people in. And I thought that was a really interesting prediction because it really played into the sort of it's a piece of merchandise or a piece of. Uh, marketing or brand extension. Yeah. And that does feel like a very good fit for something like this, mm-hmm. right? It's merch, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's, yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the, the, the sort of last prediction was that, you know, idle game design philosophies will integrate into the metagame of standard genres. So that's a little bit what I was saying before, that like some of those mechanics will will come into other games. You'll And so loot boxes is part of it. Um, you know, the... Uh, a lot of Ubisoft games went through that period, and then they've they've been pulling back on it lately. Yeah. So I'm like sort of a half yes, I think that's that has happened mm. in some manner, but I think uh, it hasn't quite 
been something that has been standard to a lot of games, the way that the prediction went. So I, that was really interesting to me watching this talk and just seeing like this was 2015. This was seven years ago. Yes, wow. And and I, I've been roughly ignorant of the genre as a player all that time, but then looking into it and, and having a, you know just a brief, it's not a, I mean, I'm not an expert just by playing through one game pr pretty heavily for four days yeah. <laughs> um, because I really did get sucked into it to the point where like I was waiting for that next tick to go so I could make sure to hit the button on time and I stayed up late and I really, you know, I have an addictive personality, so it's not that surprising to me, mm. but like I did have to just uninstall it. It really got you. Yeah, it really did get me. And it was really, really frustrating that it got me because I was thinking about like all the things that like, this could be interesting. I It is fun to match up all the things and just get, I'm going to upgrade this, at, but not not right away because I'm going to wait to upgrade this instead. That is a really satisfying play yeah. experience right. that other games have. Civ is very much like that, mm. right? But then very quickly being like, oh, the game does not care if I'm playing optimally or not. It just cares if, if, you spend money. if I either spend money or I am, am playing it at all. Yeah. Right? The engaged with it at all. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that the thing that frustrated me the most was that the theming was very strong. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is true for everybody. But to me, I think what what got me most was just the theming is really important because it's actually not an idle game is not really at its heart a video game. It's not really an interactive piece of media in the same way that that other video games are. Um, and just go with me along on this journey. Okay. It really felt more like it was a sort of a. I mean, the game does play itself. That's the whole point of it, right? Yeah. So it felt a lot like it was just a piece of linear media. Hmm. Um, and, yeah. and hmm. so having a strong theme really, really helps with that. Sure. And it doesn't yeah. have to tell a linear story necessarily. It's essentially. I mean, it's. it's I mean, it's like how Twitter or Instagram is. Like, you can just scroll through and just enjoy your time with it without actually spending a lot of time interacting with it, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to like or post. You can just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's really what it felt like. And so um, IP tie-ins and theming is really, really strong, really important. And so this is just a rethemed game. There's seven other versions of it. But I really did enjoy all of the, the the Star Trek Easter eggs. And yeah. like they did such a great job with it. Mm -hmm. Like that, the thing is, it, it was so annoying because I mean, from Jump, I'm like, I already hate this genre. Yeah. I already have, I'm already, I prejudged it. Yeah. I've already, you know, <laughs> like I already think it's dumb yeah. and that it's evil. Um, but like, oh, look at that. I recognize that from an episode. They're like, oh, they didn't Got have to you. put that Easter egg in Got there. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it, it shows a lot of, um, this is true of any ethical quandary in games. People talk about crunch. People talk about um, all sorts of the the things that is wrong with this industry. Mm -hmm. It's always wrapped in all the things that's right about it. Well, yeah. And so it's that. always hard to extract what's wrong because it's there are good people making these bad things, and they deserve their paychecks, and yeah. they deserve your support, and they and they are expressing themselves creatively in a way that is like good and well, yeah, uh, for and, themselves and for the world, and, and yet it's all mm -hmm. it is wrapped around this. Things that are sort of rotten to their That's core. That's the thing that I think that I think that the, with 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 idle games, I don't think that idle games inherently need to be problematic. Even mm -hmm. in the way that like the designers were describing, you know, the ways that they were making idle games. Yeah. Um. In that, like, I wish I could make the game have an ending. Right. I think that games can have well, they can have limits or endings in some form. Yeah. Even these games, um, in a way that can make it more ethically reasonable um mm -hmm. but still stay true to the heart of what you're trying to make um 
and I'm not here going to tell you how to do that now because <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is only an hour long program. Right. And I don't, I don't think I don't really want to debate you on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think either of us are prepared for that. Right. But I I really don't agree. Okay. I I I really don't think there's a way. I I think it it there's a way to mitigate its problems, but mm. there's n- I mean, it's sort of similar to like online toxicity. Like it, that happens because of the way that those games are built, mm-hmm. and you can you can do a lot of work to per, to prevent those things or to but you caused the problem, mm. and so you know you can you can do a lot of work to prevent it from harming people, but you did cause the problem. And I mm. think that's what the these this genre does, independent of the monetization model. Right. Yeah. Um so I kind of came away from it with like a newfound hatred of the genre. <laughs> and like like and and I mean I'm it is really just it felt like a bit of discovery and but not like I changed my mind exactly. Mm. So I'm not sure how useful this topic is to people. But like um but that theming thing really, really like stuck with me. Like how interesting that was and how and how when it breaks down, the spell kind of breaks. Yeah. So in this idle game, you know, you get a, a, a currency that is reset every round, right? So that's kind of common. Yeah. Um, and then there's another currency that is for upgrades. Mm-hmm. And then a currency that you can then pay real money for that can buy you the currency that gives you upgrades. So yeah. it's that multi-level obfuscation that makes these things work. Right. But but sort of for an example, you have um, uh, each of these holodeck simulations you can assign crew members to mm-hmm. with your points. And, and uh, each of those can be upgraded. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yada, yada. Um, but at a certain point, the numbers, they go up this logarithmic. You get billions and trillions. And then you have these notations. It's AA, AB, mm-hmm. which is like, it just makes no sense at all. Mm. It doesn't track it to the, the theme at all. And then suddenly you're putting 700 people at the warp core like to make it run fast. And you're just like, okay, the theme is totally broken now. Right. Yeah. And it's amazing how quickly that happens. But just like with mechanically, it gets you early and then you have that remembrance based on the rewards you get. Yeah. You are rewarded for your play. Mm. And so every time you're rewarded later, you attach that to being rewarded for play, even yeah. though you're not playing. It's very similar with the theming, where as you upgrade characters and as you use the you know uh, trillions upon gazillions of points to... To, to to put a thousand people um, in the shuttle bay to, to 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 like to improve the efficiency of that part of that simulation. Yeah, like you remember when it made sense that you assigned, uh, you know, Mariner to the shuttle bay. Mm. Like at that, you remember that. Like, oh, that's cool. I'm I'm kind of playing along with the story. And then when it becomes absolutely ridiculous, all you're left with was the memory of those rewards that are attached to those things. Right. And so it it it's really important. But it is the the form itself will eventually break it, mm. um, and I I believe that's true. Okay, again I disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like I said, we're not we're not going to debate it here now. Yeah, um, we'll have to come back to this one because we're out of time. I also am with Stephen. I think I disagree, but I'm going to send yeah. you a game to play. Yeah. Oh yeah. dear. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you a game to play, and we can come back next time. We can talk about it. That's play- the way to that's the way to win a debate is to give other people homework. <laughs> yeah. Well. Because I'm, I'm not going to do it, so then essentially you will uh, you'll win unchallenged. Yeah, there it is. I already win. <laughs> Uncontested. Since I already win. I don't even have to send it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Shortcut all the way through. <laughs> That's our show. Let's see if I can do this outro without fumbling over my words. Taking bets. <laughs> For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter at Knights Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and importing models into Unity. Helpful stuff. We like hearing from you, so tweet back or email us. 
contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and you get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual or actually like really get into it, you can come by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello and tell Mark he's wrong. <laughs> All right. Until we get going again, remember to play nice and make nice. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.